Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we'll be talking about Catholic News Service, which provides news and information about the church to English language publications around the world, including the Catholic Review. Our guest is Greg Erlinson, since 2016, the editor-in-chief of Catholic News Service, also known as CNS. CNS is the primary source of national and global news for Catholic publications in the U.S., Canada, and several other countries. Greg is one of the world's most respected Catholic journalists. He was formerly the president and director of Our Sunday Visitor. He is winner of the two highest awards in Catholic journalism, the St. Francis de Sales Award and the Bishop John England Award, both from the Catholic Press Association. Welcome to the show, Greg. Uh, it's, it's great to be here, Chris. Glad to join you. How does Catholic News Service help Catholics and other people understand the world through the lens of faith? I think that um, what has been true since its founding 100 years ago is really this idea of communicating, you know, uh, what is happening in the Catholic Church, uh, how it impacts uh, ordinary Catholics. What what does the church have to say about events that are taking place in the world? And to a certain extent, even though our function is not primarily catechetical, also uh, when necessary, explaining um, what it is that the church teaches, for, for example, in, in areas that may be somewhat controversial or, or uh, poorly known. So all those ways, it has, it, it helps bind Catholics together, um, deepen our knowledge of the faith, hopefully inspire us, and, and, and hopefully form us better as Catholics. You've worked in the Catholic press under quite a few different popes. How has that changed the way you report the news and how Catholic News Service reports what's going on? So when I first got involved, I was sort of returning to the faith after a, a, a short hiatus, and I was offered a job at uh, National Catholic Register, which was then based in Los Angeles. And that was right when uh, John Paul II was this exciting new pope. You know, we remember more freshly the excitement of, of Pope Francis. When Pope John Paul was elected, we had this young, handsome skier, this dynamic personality, and that had a huge impact on me and made me want to know more uh, about, I, I, again, I was coming back to the church, but I wanted to know more about the faith was really interested by his energy and, and how he approached the world, really. And, you know, we know about his showdown with communism, but, but so much more. He seemed so ready to engage. He seemed fearless. And, and so that was a really exciting part of it. Uh, when I went to work for Catholic News Service the first time, I was working in the Rome Bureau. Back then it was called National Catholic News Service. And I got a chance to cover John Paul II close up. And, and personal, and again, at a very rich moment in his papacy before his health declined and, and, and he slowed down um, significantly. Uh, and then I went to work for our Sunday visitor, and, and there I was uh, involved in coverage of Pope John Paul II, but also uh, Pope Benedict, who in many ways 
was an extension of the John Paul II papacy, but was also brought his own gifts uh, to the papacy. And and finally, with Catholic News Service and and Pope Francis. So it's been it's been really exciting. And and I think one of the things that we're seeing from a journalistic point of view is is how the church is wrestling with how open it should be, how transparent it should be. And I think from a reporter's point of view, this is this is really critical. I mean, this this awareness, this access that journalists have with with uh, John Paul II giving interviews, long interviews on the plane. I, I remember some of the stories he would actually wear out uh, the journalists. He would get stronger as the trip began, as the as the journalists were worn out. Two weeks in Africa, the journalists were thrashed, and John Paul II was was ready and raring to go. With Pope Benedict, his was more of an intellectual papacy in some ways. Uh, his writing was so brilliantly clear, um, but less so perhaps engaging, except he would do one-on-one conversations with, with uh, someone like um, Seewald, you know, a German uh, journalist, and he would do long interviews with him. But the access wasn't quite the same. The, the comfort with the journalist was not necessarily the same. And then, of course, with Francis, he's just willing to take on all comers. So he'll have one-on-one interviews with journalists, he'll have group interviews, he'll talk on the plane. I think one of the most memorable ones was was after the, some of the allegations made by Archbishop Vigano when he was talking with the reporters on the plane flying back from Ireland. In a sense, he was challenging the journalists to do their job, which I thought was a, kind of an amazing moment. But in, in all these areas, the tension is always between how open is the church, how much does it communicate, how much does it keep to itself? And, and I think this, this the challenge of transparency is probably what identifies the papacy in sort of the post-Vatican II period, which we're still a part of. And and I can't say that the church always gets it right, but I mean there's a there is at times or there should be a healthy dynamic between the press wanting to know and the and the church leaders trying to decide how much to share. Mm-hmm. How big is your staff and how many of those are in the Rome Bureau? So we have six in the Rome Bureau, and we have about 15 in Washington and in New York, so 16. Rome uh, is, is, of course, a, uh, a great place for a journalist to be able to go, but you have to be willing to live there for a while. You have to be willing to put up with, well, forget the COVID uh, pandemic, but even normal days, normal times in Rome are pretty stressful. Um, it's, it's quite different to live there than to be vacationing there. Uh, so it takes a certain hardy breed uh, to be there as well. And then we have, uh, in New York, we, we now have uh, two people, the head of our uh, sort of movie review uh, effort, and then also uh, Edmund Brosnan, who's uh, head of special projects like uh, Origins uh, that we publish as well. And the rest of us are, are in Washington, which is really kind of a, a, you know, an appropriate epicenter for uh, news gathering in the United States. Why is that Rome Bureau so important to your clients? I know it is to us. <laughs> I think that part of it is that we, we become, you know, more and more, I, I believe, we become more and more focused on the papacy. That, might, that probably is following trends that are happening in the, in the secular world as, as well. We, we focus less on Congress. We focus more on the president. I think we focus, have been focusing more and more on the papacy, and especially with these, with these very... Um, vibrant personalities like John Paul II and, and Pope Francis. I, th- I think that's one part of it. The other part is that I think Catholics want to know, uh, want to make sure that the information they're getting 
from Rome is accurate. Uh, and I think a Catholic news service uh, like ours is, is critical for making sure that, you're, you, that you are getting the news. There's, there's so many examples of, of times when the secular media, which is not necessarily always focused on the Vatican and certainly not tuned into it from a Catholic perspective, may not get a story completely right or may, may be incomplete in their reporting. And I think we view ourselves as, as playing a really important role that if we're reporting it, that it can be trusted. But just a small example is, you know, the use of anonymous sources. I think that's something that's that's taken more or less for granted in the in the Italian um, journalistic context. But we try very hard not to do that. And sometimes that means that we're not reporting every story that pops up uh, on the rumor mill. But it's, I, I believe that it's really important that Catholic News Service retain its credibility, that if we're going to report it, we've got some very factual, concrete basis for, for saying whatever it is that we're, we're talking about. Well, I know that, that we rely very heavily on the Rome Bureau, certainly not only for the coverage of the Pope, but also for making sense out of what's happening coming out of other various uh, diocesan offices. It makes a big difference to the Catholic Review and to our readers, I'm sure. I suppose you had big plans to celebrate the service's 100th anniversary. Uh, how are those going? What happened there? <laughs> we, we, uh, uh, we have not forgiven the pandemic for uh, completely destroying all of our plans for, <laughs> for, for celebrating it. And I'll be honest, we're, we're sort of scrambling right now. Um, once we all started working out of our houses, I, I mean, I got to give absolute kudos to the staff. We have a highly professional uh, staff that that uh, has has a lot of experience, and we made the transition from working in an office to working at home without a hiccup. We haven't we haven't missed any deadlines. Um, we've we've been staying on top of stories. I, I wish we had about six more bodies to be able to throw at things, but but we really um, they've done a great job. But but one of the side effects is that we have not been able to celebrate our anniversary. We're looking forward to having a a mass and reception at the USCCB headquarters. We had plans for the Catholic Media Conference in June. I mean, everything's been scrapped right now. What we will be doing and what ha was in the works is we've done, we've put together kind of a little history of Catholic News Service. We've been parceling out um, stories uh, like that and we'll be publishing them probably sometime in the next month. Very good. We'll take a short break and we'll be back to talk with Greg Erlinson about Catholic News Service and the service's 100th anniversary. This is Chris Gunty and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. In the silence of the Cathedral of Christ the King, Archbishop Gregory J. Hartmeyer, a former principal of Archbishop Curley High School in Baltimore, was installed May 6th as leader of the 1.2 million Catholics in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. The installation mass looked unlike any other in the 64-year history of the church in Atlanta. Amid the coronavirus pandemic, the group in the cathedral was limited to a dozen people keeping apart from each other. Pope Francis appointed Archbishop Hartmeyer as Archbishop on March 5th to fill a vacancy when Archbishop Wilson Gregory was named to the Archdiocese of Washington last April. A conventional Franciscan, Archbishop Hartmeyer is a native of Buffalo, New York. He spent the early years of his ministry in the Baltimore area, serving as a religion teacher and guidance counselor at Archbishop Curley High School in the late 1970s. 
and 1980s, he was principal of the all-boys school from 1985 to 1988. You can read more on this story at catholicreview.org. Bishop Kevin C. Rhodes of Fort Wayne, South Bend, Indiana, and five other bishops have concluded that the alleged apparitions of Our Lady of America, said to have taken place more than six decades ago, were not of supernatural origin. The investigation concerned numerous apparitions reported by a sister of the most precious blood of Jesus of Dayton, Ohio, between 1956 and 1959. Bishop Rhodes is a former rector of Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. Be safe and take care of one another. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore, talking with Greg Erlinson, Director and Editor-in-Chief of Catholic News Service, which is marking its 100th anniversary this year. Greg, you mentioned before the break, but how does CNS cover stories that are difficult for the church, such as clergy sexual abuse scandals, or the case of former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, or any of those kinds of difficulties? We want to be um, accurate, but we want to be fair. Um, we have to avoid speculation. I think that that can get us into trouble and kind of the editorializing uh, that can happen. We try not to get too far out in front of our skis, so to speak. And we have to be mindful of that. I mean, we have a responsibility um, to our clients, to the diocese and, and, and to the Catholic readers. But at the same time, I think it's really critical. Uh, and I think this is generally accepted, is that we can't not talk about these things. It's, it's, it's critical that we do this. You know, I, I, um, there's probably a lot of these kinds of stories I can tell, but, uh, or, or that we can, both of us can tell, but 
I remember uh, one diocese had a situation that involved uh, a lawsuit and a, um, a teacher. And I, I know that the diocesan newspaper was not able to publish any information about the case that was unfolding every day in the pages of the secular newspaper. And, and I realized that there was a, there's kind of a defensive, two things. I mean, there's a defensiveness on the part of, of, of the church leadership. There's certainly, I'm sure, lawyers saying, hey, look, anything you write is, is going to create problems. But, but the danger of that approach is that Catholics had nowhere to turn for that story except in the secular press. And in that particular secular publication, was not known to be friendly to the church. And so they were kind of stranded and there, were, there was, and there were teachable moments in this about what, what church teaching is and, and you know, sort of what was behind the whole controversy. And that, that really struck me is that, is that in a sense, the, if, you, if you want to use the shepherd and the sheep, the, she, the sheep were abandoned a little bit. They were on their own at that point. And, and I think we don't want to do that however painful it is. We're really going to see that with Cardinal McCarrick, because I, I, I think so many people felt betrayed um, by the stories about him, and, um, and and I'm sure there's a great deal of defensiveness on the part of many people and, and on the part of dioceses uh, where he served. But I really think this is one of those times when we are just going to have to bite the bullet, and we have to be we have to be fair, we have to be accurate. Uh, we have to be thorough, um, not sitting in judgment on the whole church, not not necessarily able to say that we know what all the intentions were of the various people involved, but we do have to get the facts as we know them out. And I think that that Catholic journalism in general has done a better and better job uh, of doing that over, unfortunately, the past 30 years that we've been grappling with this. Mm-hmm. Our colleague, Sister Marianne Walsh, who passed away about five years ago, uh, worked for Catholic News Service, but also worked for the Bishop's Conference in the Media Relations Office, said often, it's our story, good or bad, we have to tell it. And so I think she was very much on top of that. You certainly see a lot of stories coming in and photos, I imagine, from client publications around the U.S., such as the Catholic Review. What are some trends you're seeing in Catholic publishing these days? Wow. Well, you know, it, it, it seems like pre-COVID is like ancient history now. So I mean, yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I it's all COVID as, all the time, right? I know. It's all COVID all the time, and, and, and we are trying to do that. I will say that it's, it's been great to see how um, diocesan publications that are partnered with Catholic News Service, how, uh, what a good job they're doing of covering all different aspects um, of the uh, of the virus and its impact. If I can give a little fervorino here, um, I, it's so critically important that the Catholic Church be telling the story of its involvement in the fight uh, against COVID-19 and its efforts to help the people. And and I get really frustrated when I think that the church is is might be hiding its light under a bushel. And thank goodness for the diocesan press, which is bringing out all these different stories. You know, stories about bishops going around their diocese, blessing all the different healthcare institutions that are in the diocese, or stories about a chaplain who's, who's spending all of his days at a hospital and trying to figure out how to anoint the sick and the dying without uh, endangering himself or others, or uh, a, a nun who's working as a physician assistant in, in an ER uh, room, I mean, or 
uh, Catholics who are manning um, uh, food pantries and, and Catholic charities uh, centers, uh, my sister being one of them. I mean, the, the, there's, the church is everywhere in this epidemic. And, and I think it's so critical that we tell that story so that even though people are not able to attend mass right now and they're not able to put their envelope in the basket, the church is worthy of support and needs support because we're out there helping all these thousands and thousands of Catholics. And, and that is what really concerns me is, is wanting to tell that story. And that's what, uh, you know, I've given um, talks to the staff saying we need to be getting the story of what the church is doing. And by church, I mean us. I mean, Catholics. I mean, all these journalists like at the Baltimore Review and Catholic News Service, they're working longer, harder hours at home trying to get these stories out. And that's just a part of the sacrifices. Apart from COVID-19, and I, I agree with you that it's important for us to tell the stories that are going on in our dioceses, but why else is it critical for dioceses and archdioceses to have a strong Catholic publication? It plays a, a whole series of roles. One is it, it just keeps Catholics informed about the issues of the day. They're not gonna be looking at those issues whether it's abortion or the death penalty or immigration or whatever the controversy du jour is, they, they need to see it through Catholic eyes. They need to understand what the church is saying. They need to hear from their leaders. They're not gonna get that from the secular press. They're not gonna get that from the you know, half hour evening news broadcast. So, so that's one important aspect of it. And, and of course, information that will help them know more about their faith, that also comes uh, through the Catholic press. But I think there's another function, and, and I want to call attention to, to one area where I think this is really true. There's a, there's a diocese in the Midwest recently that closed its newspaper, and my son happens to live in that diocese. And he doesn't know, he said, it's, it's what brought us together, and now I don't know what's happening. Uh, and and, and I, I think that's uh, this binding aspect of the Catholic, of the Catholic press. And, th and that can happen in a variety of ways, but I think... I think print publications is one aspect of it. It comes into your house and you look at it and you know what's happening out there. And then there's blogs and podcasts. And you can go online. But, but in all of that, we're sort of identifying as Catholics and we're connecting with other Catholics. And I think that's just absolutely vital. And, and I, I hope that the bishops value that service of the Catholic press because if, if that goes away, there's nothing else that quite does the same function. I would agree with you. We have just a little bit of time left. What are your plans for CNS for the future, for the next hundred years? <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think we've got you know, a rough patch right now. Um, so I'll admit I haven't been looking too far down the road. There's a number of things uh, that I'd like to do. I'd, find, I'd like to find new ways to be able to, to reach more Catholics. Uh, we've, we've been expanding our international um, services and, and we've, we have partnerships with different uh, international organizations like News Service in uh, Germany or in Australia or, or Asia. Uh, and, and so that's, it's, it's good to build on that. I think that we've got to find ways to financially stabilize uh, the Catholic press uh, in general. And, and uh, I think that uh, 2008 was a blow to the church and uh, 2020 is a greater blow to the church. So I'll have to admit that, that a lot of my attention uh, is focused on that. Um, clearly, the means of communication are changing. So we have to, CNS has to change with it. We have to be able to uh, provide our information, 
however our clients and readers want to read it. So that means it's got to be able to go digital. It's got to be able to serve uh, radio. It's got to be able to serve television. It's got to uh, serve traditional print uh, as well. So I think that um, sort of technological dexterity is something we really need to build on. Very good. We've been talking today with Greg Erlinson about the Catholic Press, about the 100th anniversary of Catholic News Service, where he's editor-in-chief. Thanks so much for being with us today, Greg. Chris, it was great to be with you and your listeners. Thanks. This is Christopher Gutti of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our blessed mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.